Welcome to the Clyde Podcast. This is Willow Weston, the founder and director of Clyde, and I am so glad that you hopped on to hear this interview that I'm about to hand you. If you are tracking with me every week, I'm so glad you're on here again. If you aren't and you want to subscribe to our podcast, you can do that on all the platforms. Make sure you check out our website for all our resources, all the things that God is up to around here where we're inviting women to collide with Jesus. Our website is wecollide.net, so check it out. Today, I got to sit down with my buddy, Scott Erickson. I've known him for decades. We used to work together, and Scott is the author of Honest Advent, a book that he has uh, kind of become known for almost being like the guru of Advent, where he really challenges us to think and and contemplate during this time at Christmas. And so I'm really excited to hand you this conversation. I think it will challenge you. He's a storyteller. He's an artist. He calls himself a curator of awesomeness. So check out this awesomeness. Scott, you know that I always love sitting down and hanging out with you. We uh, have so much fun and get all sidetracked. And I think we just spent about 30 <laughs> minutes talking before I pressed yep. record. But thank you for hanging mm-hmm. out with me. It's good oh, to be with this you. Oh, this is my favorite. I love hanging out with you. Oh, man. You have become like the Advent guru it feels like. And it was funny because when I popped on here today, you were holding your book, trying to make me laugh. You always do that. (laughs) But I'm kind of curious, like, rewind back to being a kid. Like, what are your memories of Advent and hearing about the Christmas story? Do you have any? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I have a smattering of memories of, uh, you know, Advent candles advent calendars advent wreaths you know christmas pageants christmas pageant practices and then just like the entire brand of christmas and you know, just lights and in fact today i'm like putting up lights and i'm just like oh god bless my parents who had to do this <laughs> to give us joy <laughs> um, i'm like i'm like trying to i'm like it's gonna rain tomorrow i gotta get them up today um yeah so there's just this you know there's this kind of aesthetic you know as a visual learner and a visual artist i just think there's so many visuals that remain in my mind and i mean i think there's music and bells and chimes and uh the charlie brown christmas singing uh you know and also the handles messiah because my parents always sang that and you know just all these kinds of there's all these things associated with it so it's it's a very in fact like in honest advent i talk a lot about the brand of christmas like the brand at least in North America, it's so strong. It's so strong that even people in the Southern Hemisphere, where it's hot in summertime during this time of year, they're like, yeah, we'll still put icicles up and fir trees in our houses, which seems ridiculous. <laughs> That's hilarious because obviously I live in the Pacific Northwest, so it's just like a thing. Like it's like yeah. a natural thing that's outside. Yeah, like it might snow so on Christmas. Like Texas yeah. with like evergreen trees and icicles. Well, I was talking to some people in like New Zealand and Australia and they're just like, yeah, it's summertime. We're going on like summer vacation and uh, going to the beach. But they'll be like, yeah, we'll put like fake, fake icicle up and we'll, you know, <laughs> pretend. Stockings. You, you don't need. <laughs> you mentioned the Christmas pageant. Were you ever in it? And if so, who were you? Uh, yeah, I was. Oh, I was a sheep. I was a narrator one year. Um, never, never, you know, like Joseph or the wise men never had the big roles, but I mean, the narrator's pretty strong. Um, not marrying either. I wasn't married either. Uh, I could have done a really good job as baby Jesus, but no, I'll tell you what, I was actually reflecting on this. I, I helped out with this church not too long ago and trying to like get us excited about, uh, Christmas pageants. I, for Christmas Eve, we did an improv Christmas pageant. <laughs> so we had it like, so you just did all the work beforehand, like had the costumes ready and stuff. And then we had all the kids come up and we're like, because Christmas Eve, they're like, hey, come up. So we're like, we're going to do an improv Christmas thing. And so we like got volunteers and sat them up and then just like went through it really fast. 
and it was chaotic and hilarious. It was amazing. We do <laughs> this like, every so year at our house on Christmas Eve. We invite whoever you do an improv Christmas. Go. Yeah, so oh, okay. all, anybody eighteen and under has to partake. It's like mandatory. Like you don't get the Christmas cookies if you don't. No, but for real, like it's it's mandatory. They go up to our costume closet, and they all put together the most. It's probably just the most blasphemous you know, Christmas story pageant ever. And every year, and my son is like, I think I told you six, five, 245 pounds. His whole life, for whatever reason, all the kids give him Mary. And he comes down, he's got a black a blanket wrapped around his body. And when it comes time to give birth to Jesus, it's always our labradoodle that comes out. <laughs> And the parents go wild and we have it on video and I don't show anybody because people will judge that us. It's so funny. What a funny, that's so fun. It's fun to embody that story, you know, literally yeah. embody yeah. that story. You, um, you yeah. bring up the brand. What, like, if you're being honest, what do you actually hate about the brand that Christmas has become? But also what do you secretly little bit love about it that has nothing to do with Jesus but the brand oh I love the feel of like Bing Crosby's White Christmas just that kind of classic crooner yeah echoey chimes violins in the background I'm dreaming you know like that just kind of yeah. whatever feeling that imposes it just sets a really amazing tone um, even like Peggy's Lee's, Peggy Lee's rocking around the Christmas tree. Just all, all of that old stuff is really great. Um, the thing I don't like about the brand is it, it, it is it, it puts pressure on us. Like we're supposed to accomplish something. We're supposed mm-hmm. to feel something. We're supposed to have some kind of experience. And, um, a brand just means, like as a person who used to work for a branding company, a brand just means like, what's the typeface? What's the colors? What's the whole feeling and stuff you want to put on this thing? And I think, you know, the color schemes, red and green, <laughs> gold and, you know, these kinds of things. The The music is uh, joyous and kind of awe-inspired. Uh, there's a whole visual catalog of just different animals and people and then we are not even hitting on the like Santa stuff, you know, and like angels and all kinds of things. So there's all these very strong visuals. It's, you know, CVS and Walgreens are ready to go when it's Christmas time. You know, they're probably already up. They already put up lights and things and you know, you're like, Oh, it's Christmas time. My, you know, honest advent came from mostly watching my wife be pregnant and have a baby three times. But like, also there was a bit of like, what does this story, can this story exist outside of a brand is, you know, because I've only experienced in the North American brand of Christmas. And if I was to like mm-hmm. sidestep that and just like, think of like desert and heat and no- and nothing to do with like Home Depot Christmas trees. Like I was like, how, what's happening to these people in this space and does that have anything to say about the life I'm finding myself in too? And that was kind of a bit of that musing. And, and I knew just as a visual person, as a person who intakes that, I was like, I need to kind of rebrand or come up with my own brand or do an anti-brand of Christmas. Not as in like, I didn't like it as in just like, I just need this to help me sidestep this bigger narrative, this bigger expectation. Mm, I love that you say this question can the story exist sort of out of North America and I think even like there's a larger sort of question that people are going through in faith in so many pockets and so many lives where they're almost trying to figure out can my faith exist outside of this sort of human construct that I've only Mm. known it And so it's really interesting that your book is sort of challenging, like, if the Christmas story can't exist outside of this Christmas brand of North America, like, what is it anyways? Yeah, I mean, it's (laughs) exactly. Well, I think the the larger thing is, is uh, if you want to continue journeying in the Bible at all, it's, it's really helpful to just 
start to take apart your own filters of like, how do I see, how am I seeing this way? Just when people are like, the Bible said it and I believe it and that's it. You're like, the Bible said something and you interpret it as a 21st century person who lives in democracy and capitalism. Like that, like when you, <laughs> there's just, you know, we infer it's, it, it takes a bit of work, but it's really helpful to separate yourself from the imposed filters you bring on everything. And um, art can be really helpful for this. You know, different stories can be, storytelling can be helpful for this. Music can be helpful for all of these things to be helpful to kind of see our own thing. So to think that like, like this is so random, but I remember being in this like uh, law fitness, you know, it's that French fitness thing all over the nation law fitness and uh <laughs> I, like fitness again. Uh, I was in the changing room, in the men's locker room and i heard this guy talking to this other guy he goes it's just if you can ever in your life go to another country that doesn't celebrate christmas during christmas time it'll do something to you and i thought that was like an amazing statement because if you can go to another country that doesn't celebrate christmas and you're like wait it, there's those it's like absolutely there's those if you can go to another country that doesn't celebrate christmas during christmas time would you celebrate christmas on that day and how would you do it if you couldn't if you're like i gotta get tinsel on it it's like this country doesn't have evergreen trees would you and evergreen trees are a co-opted pagan ritual that, that like christianity entering into europe took over like what how would you celebrate it and that's kind of the invitation that this book is not necessarily getting rid of the brand as much as like, what is the core at these stories? Like, for example, like, uh, it doesn't have to even be these like tertiary things, but just like, like, uh, one meditation was just on breathing. So if we have this baby being born, there's something really amazing. Uh, what's amazing about new baby times is a baby falling asleep on you is like the greatest thing, right? Like holding a sleeping baby. And if you can just sit in a chair and nobody wants you to do anything, they're like, you're holding a baby. You just stay right there. You can just sit on that chair and you're holding this baby and you're feeling it's like a little breath, <sighs> you know, cause their lungs are smaller. And then you listen to your breath and it's a lot bigger. And you, you, if you're paying attention, you can see that like we have these involuntary so these systems inside of us, like our heart beats without us having to be in charge of it. We can control our breathing, but our breathing mostly happens involuntary. And life is being sustained by something we're not in charge of. And so sitting, I remember just sitting with like my third child, my son Jones, and just being like, it's real magical, you know, to just sit and just to think about breathing. In fact, the Hebrews, their word Yahweh, some people think is, came from just going, God is our breath. Like the, the word Ruah in, in Hebrew is spirit, wind, and breath. It's all the same things. And they're saying in some way, this invisible presence, we would call God, but they call Yahweh. It's like, we can recognize it in our breath. And so seeing God if we imagine God incarnating into our world, one of the things that would be indicative of that incarnation is breathing. And so we can touch base with incarnation just simply by paying attention to our breathing. And that's something that, that that's, there's no brand with that. There's no songs for that. Although I think all sons and daughters made a song. Some, a lot of us sung song. Um, it's our breath in our lungs, you know, uh, but it's, so it's things like that. It's like those, um, those things are, I think, are a part of this Christmas and this Advent season that I wanted to tap into. That was outside of like Jolly Old St. Nicholas and O Come and Come Emmanuel. When you talk about the incarnation, because we're going to talk about lots of stuff and you kind of throw it around like, yeah, 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 the incarnation. But for people who um, are either unfamiliar with the story or don't use that term, like, can you kind of flesh that out a little bit? What is the incarnation and why lean into the beauty of it? Hmm. Yeah, some people only associate incarnation with the birth of Jesus, but incarnation is just simply means like something that was invisible becoming visible, something that wasn't there then appearing there. And that in, 
as if we list, if we look at the beginning of the book of John, John is like, there was this word and it wasn't a literal like letters put together, but the word was just like this movement, this energy that was creating life. This word was with God at the beginning and this all things are made through this word. And so you have this energy, this presence, this intention that all things are made through. And then that word ended up becoming incarnated into a baby that went through the utero canal and came out and then participated in a human life, according to the story. So, and as I was thinking about, well, what does it mean to be incarnated? Um, and having, I'm not a woman, but I live with one and having witnessed three pregnancies and three births, I was like, incarnation is a very vulnerable act. Like a pregnancy is, yeah, it's magical and it has, it's like really great moments. And, you know, there's always like a, a photograph next to a wood fence with your belly hanging out for some reason, you know, just like a bare belly, like you would be mid drifting. Uh, you know, like there's all these all kind of fun things about pregnancy, but there's also like heartburn and morning sickness and uh, gas and a lot of fluids involved. And uh, we live in a highly sophisticated medical system, but like, you know, childbirth, child, uh, you know, mother death rates in childbirth are still, it's still a possibility and there's still a risk. And it all hit me that it was like incarnation is very risky. It's very vulnerable meaning vulnerability is is our relationship to our weaknesses and limitations how do we feel about having those and and i've you know every it's not like there's an, another way for humans to come into the world this is how human beings come into the world and so this is how the creator incarnated into the world participated in those vulnerabilities and and my and my longing is to know Christ. And so I was like, I guess where I find you during one of the ways that I can find you in my life, find you in the world, is going to be the way that you participated with humanity, which is human vulnerability. That's how you were incarnate. And maybe that's where you're still appearing today. Um, and that, so that's, that's where I started putting my attention and my contemplation and my artistic musings was like, what does it mean to be vulnerable? What does it mean to have human vulnerabilities? And how do we find God participating in that? How do we find that divine touch in those things? We believe that God has something special in store for your life. Do you need some help discerning next steps in your calling or wishing that God could do something big with your life, but you don't know where to start? Or maybe you're tired, overwhelmed, or burned out and need some encouragement and inspiration to get back up. Whatever season or life phase you're in, we've got an incredible online course called Women of Impact that will equip and empower you with tools to fully live out your purpose in this life. This course comes with over 70 teaching sessions taught by over 50 incredible women and features topics like discerning direction, dreams and vision, health for a purpose, impact in every chapter, and more. You'll also get beautifully designed journals and incredible resource lists. This course was created for women on the go, meaning you can access it anytime, anywhere, on any device. Now is the time to get inspired and equipped to make an impact with your life. This robust course is available for only $149. You can learn more or register by going to wecollide.net forward slash women of impact. What richness do you draw from having a faith in a God who became vulnerable to be with us? I mean, you could have a faith and some do in a in God, like God who made the mm-hmm. stars and the moon and and our kids and made, you know, chameleons and pomegranates or something. But like <laughs> to who have Thank you. Thank you. I have a whole list. I wrote it down before, you know. I like salamanders. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I say salamanders a lot because mm-hmm. nobody thinks of stuff. I like chameleons. Chameleons of pomegranates are good. <laughs> I usually just say salamanders and org- orgasms, but you know. <laughs> like, wow, wow, like, wow. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, so where do you go from there? So my my question to you is, 
what is this richness that you draw from having faith in a God who not only made the salamander and, you know, the pomegranates yeah, and, and the other things, but like he, he <laughs> was vulnerable to be with us. I would like to say that God did not make labradoodles, that human beings took God's perfect creation and, and ruined it through the filter of sin and turned these beautiful, majestic wolves and domesticated them into curly, uh, non-shedding animals. Uh, <laughs> this is where we differ, man. This is where we differ. <laughs> I've been working on a bit for a comedy routine where I'm like, now I'm going to lose half the audience. Let me tell you about how you've ruined dogs by turning them to doodles. Um, there's, uh, <laughs> I think it just started with the question. I think I actually heard father James Martin, who's a Jesuit priest. And he just said, what does it mean about a God who's willing to be this vulnerable with us? And that question just like hit me so hard. And I, it just like, it just opened the doorway of wonder in me. Uh, this is like years ago when I first started trying to put some of this stuff together, like all of this, if people, I, I don't imagine people know the incar- the beginning of this book, but it would just simply started as like a few drawings that I, and some musings that I posted on Instagram and, and it really resonated with people. And then the next year I did some more and then the next year I did some more. And by three years, I was like, I have 20 images. If I did five more, that's a book. So kind of put it together, but it really was an Instagram baby, but it, it started with that question about like, what does that mean? What does it mean for us to see a God that's willing to be that vulnerable with us? And I just, it just was like an invitation Here's what it means for me. Um, maybe one thing. I think it means a lot of different things. And this gets really personal. And I, I know those of you listening maybe have a different take on it. But like, um, I was given a faith idea that's really built on meritocracy. They really believe that the goal of your spirituality is to eventually become a perfect person. And I have seen that that is incorrect because the, the janky treadmill of perfectionism only really leads to self-destruction. And I just, I really, I will toot this horn until I pass, but I'm just like, I think your goal of your spiritual journey is not for you to become a better person, but it's for you to become a whole person because uh, the path of meritocracy, which is like earning love, says I have to segment segment and hide parts of my life because they're unlovable. And even though you push them way, way down, they eventually come back and haunt you in ways that are very subconscious or unconscious. You can't get rid of them. And actually to bring yourself into the light, as Jesus offers Nicodemus in John 3, is to practice the be not afraid is to realize that there is nothing that can separate you from God's love. In fact, it is keeping it in the light, which is how you heal of it. And so uh, if God was a taskmaster asking for perfectionism from us, then it would feel very damning and very um, trans transactional. But for... Jesus, to witness Jesus participating in the difficulties and complexities of a human life means that, so, and then we could, if we want to take the story farther, then Jesus ascends into heaven. If we get into like death, resurrection, and ascension, that means a part of the Trinity intimately knows what it's like to be a human being the conversations of a human life are in the, are part of the presence of God. So that means that all conversations of a human life are not foreign or alien to God, but are actually have been embodied. That means that the places that we can often go, I'm how, you know, I'm not this enough, smart enough, (laughs) perfect enough, talented enough, happy enough, you know, uh, all of that 
none of that is dismissed. None of that is outside of the realm of love. All of those are received with a, I know, I know. And um, then that allows us to begin a process of healing because it's love that will heal us, not earning love that won't ever heal us, that will terrorize us actually. So this, so part of this uh, meditation on incarnation is to, is to see that um, even, you know, there's not many, I think it's like four or five chapters in the entire Bible are about <laughs> Jesus's birth. It's not, not a lot of content, but, but seeing these other women and men as a part of the story, it's seeing that like, they were confronted with different things. Like, you know, uh, one, one of my favorite ones is Mary, um, receiving a message from an angel. And I think all of us in some ways would be like, gosh, I wish it would be so amazing for an angel to appear to me, um, and tell me something, you know, invite me into a different reality. Cause I think some of us are like, gosh, I wish, I wish everything would change. I wish my life would change. I wish God would send a revelation. But the thing about a revelation is that <laughs> what changes is nothing you get to choose. Like revelation will always change things, but it's some, often it's not the things you want to change. Mm-hmm. Like the things that changed for Mary were like her future plans, the way she imagined what her kid's first name would be, the way she imagined how she would be thought of in a community, how their like life would be together. All of those had to change because of this revelation, because of this new thing coming in to the world. But she said yes. And why we still revere her and why we still speak of her and why we and why we have that Beatles song Let It Be is because like she said, let it be unto me as you will it. And that we are invited to that same kind of invitation. Because I, you know, and I'm a trained spiritual director and in in the work of spiritual direction is not to get God's attention, like get pots and pans. God, would you listen to us today? You're I'm trying to get your attention, but it starts from the premise that God is already at work in your life that already speaking in your life. And so where are the places where maybe revelation is already coming to that? We actually don't want to say, let it be. We're like, mm, don't talk to me about forgiving my parents. <laughs> don't talk to me about, how I've traded materialism for a chance to be more generous. I mean, don't say that as an American. That's very unpatriotic. Uh, You know, there's so many places that we could, I I mean, I think all of us have to just take the time to listen and, and just to go, where, where is a place that God wants to bring revelation? For me, it's a story that's not just happening back then. It's a story that's happening right now. That's, that's really what it comes down to. Yeah, it's interesting because I read and you just kind of said it, but the divine incarnation isn't something like it's not a historical moment that happened once, but you say it's still happening through human vulnerability. And I think it's interesting because a lot of us have been peddled a faith that actually requires that we don't look vulnerable at all. I think. Oh, gosh, no. We've been invited into a faith where it's like you check off these beliefs. You're good. It's like you get an A on the test and you look a certain way and you believe a certain way and you vote a certain way and you do all the things and um, you have to look strong. You have to look like you have it together and to be a complete mess and come to God with that kind of vulnerability is sort of the opposite of what we've been told we have to be. And so the mm-hmm. idea of Jesus becoming vulnerable, really, I don't even know if if that has translated into some people's idea of God, because we have been a part of communities where we have not been allowed or invited or given permission to live or in families, um, places uh, of faith to actually be given a permission slip to be vulnerable. Yeah. And the idea that that we have a God who came down and was vulnerable in order to be with us. It would make sense that he would fully give us permission to be vulnerable ourselves. And yet that hasn't been our experience with people of faith. Hmm. Yeah. Because why, I mean, do you, do you have any opinions of why that is? I mean, I do, but because I mean, I think it has to do with power 
I mean, what? Look, I'm not. I'm. Uh, we. This is like a whole other subject and stuff. But like, Christianity was very different, and and then when eventually it got embedded with Constantine and the Roman Empire, it took on a lot of different forms. Anytime it, anytime it gets in bed with kind of like power and control and narrative and stuff it's um it becomes about like don't let them see this weakness it's only about strength i actually think for me and i explore this in a show and a book called say yes but um i really think it's and it and it's it's hard for us in a capitalistic society to really see how much we're embedded with marketing and capitalism but like um christianity has become a pro or jesus has become a product we're pitching a product like believe this thing and then it'll do this and make your life better and yet if we're really honest with ourselves believing in jesus doesn't stop us from getting cancer it doesn't stop accidents from happening it doesn't stop divorce that's hard to you know can we say that i mean it doesn't stop it's not because it's not a product it's not it's not glass cleaner it's not weed killer it's not toothpaste teeth whitener it's it's something it's something deep it's something about love and identity and uh with usness which is what christmas is a time to focus on like god with us with the with usness of that as we go through and maybe it just should start from a premise of like it's just incredibly hard to be a human being and what we see from the giver of human beings is incredible grace and mercy about being a human being. I don't think any of us, if we really looked at Jesus's, I mean, I think some, <laughs> I don't know, some people look at the teachings of Jesus through their own filter of self-hatred and think that Jesus is nothing but condemning. But I think if you look at it, there's so much grace to the one who doesn't have it together, the one who's been marginalized. As you were talking about, like in our churches, I was like, yeah, nobody really talks from the stage about real vulnerability that doesn't sell very well, but vulnerability does happen at churches, usually in basements on weekend or weekday nights in AA meetings or Island on meetings or, NA meetings, you know, like at the places where people go, Hey, I have this thing that I'm not hiding from anybody else. Um, can I talk about it here? Mm-hmm. But that's actually very much more freeing than it is to be like, how are you today? Great. Things, everything, everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Fine, as I'm dying inside. Um, yeah. I yeah, my friend Nadia Boltzweber, she has a great line that I really have embraced, and she goes, "Cults, cults are built on virtues, and uh, but she's like, Christianity is built on vulnerability, meaning like cults. She, she's saying like." groups that are going like you can be the best version of yourself and we're going to help you get there it's like it's built upon this kind of manipulation and like let's never look at like what's what we need to repent of (laughs) where she's like what i've understand as a pastor is that the work of christ is to go let's let's like repent of our desire for power over others let's let's repent of our our places that we self-sabotage let's repent of believing that I have to earn love. Let's and let let's let God do something to us. Let's let God transform us. And letting God transform you can only come about through acknowledging your vulnerability that you need God to do that. Um and I I have been a Christian most of my life. I just last week I'm working with a therapist through some of this stuff. I just don't know if it's ever an end goal. I think it it's cyclical. Like we always can keep finding places that, um, for me, I'll, I'll, I'll embody it now. I mean, if I'm vulnerable, like one of the things that I was dealing with, with this kind of coach was just like, who's a Christian, but he was just like, it sounds like you got to a spot where you don't need Jesus anymore for the work that you do. You know, like you could probably do it all without Jesus. Right. I was like, I totally could. Yeah. And he's like, okay, let's spend time thinking, like, what would we miss out on? What what could you do? What would you miss out on? It was a really interesting exercise um, to go, I've built enough material. I've built enough vocabulary. I could sound really good if I wanted to. 
but is that why I wanted to do this work in the first place? What does it mean to, so then I've been asking myself like for 2023. Um, and this is great. It's really helpful for me. This got really personal all of a sudden. I hope everybody's enjoying this. Um, <laughs> you know, one of the things people often ask me as an artist, they're like, why do you only use like black and gold? And it's not like I'm against colors. It's just like, sometimes creatively, it's really helpful to impose limitations because it helps you go deeper into something. So what I started asking myself, and I'm kind of prayerful about is like, what kind of vulnerabilities can I and, and would I allow myself to constrain myself with this next year? One of the things, and I'm not sure how this works, but I'm like, I started seeing some of the spiritual uh, people that I've looked up to, but like Henry Nowen, who's, you know, acclaimed author and spiritual teacher and stuff, um, went after he left academia and he went and lived in the Arch community, which is a community where people with physical and mental disabilities live with capable people, but they live life together. When he would go lecture at big things, he would take somebody from the community with him as part of like his work, he'd be like, I'm not coming by myself. I'm coming with somebody else and coming out of the community. So as I've been prayerful about it, it was like, what would it look like for everything that I do? Even if it makes, it means I make less money. What would it mean to take somebody with me? How would that change the work I do? How would that? So I'm, and cause Jesus is invisible. I mean, I, mean, I know some, I have friends who he's appeared to, but like, but Jesus also invites us to go, I'm in, I'm in the hungry, I'm in the thirsty. When you did it to the least of these, you're doing it to me. So there's something about in the participation and relationship that the presence of Jesus shows up. So one of the ways that I desire to be with Jesus, maybe I could impose this vulnerability by needing a dependency or like a relationship thing. All of a sudden it's happening. It's incarnating in my midst in that. Thank you for the, thank you for <laughs> everybody letting me walk through something I haven't figured out, but that's, but again, that, that's the discernment. That's the listening. That's the avenue of vulnerability and the invitation of my life. I got to a spot where I was successful in a lot of things and I could have kept going, but at what cost? And then I had to like, in some way without, you know, a, a friend came alongside me and said, let's talk about this. And you're invited into another way. And I'm discerning what that means. Mm-hmm. And that's much more exciting than me than just being like, I got this next year. I'm going to kill it. Just killing it. Hashtag all the time. <laughs> Scott, I love that you're, you're inviting us into a connection with a vulnerable God in a vulnerable way. And I love that so much. And you've shared a little bit about what's going on in your life. And I hope it's okay that I ask this, but yeah, you talk about a with usness. You talk about this idea of like the Emmanuel God with us and Advent and waiting. And it, it seems like you personally have been in a bit of a waiting season with what's going on with your kid. And I'm kind mm-hmm. of curious, like how... You're not just a guy who wrote a book on Advent that's kind of like dishing out advice to other people on like, hey, yeah, like, um, go be vulnerable with a vulnerable God. You're like living your life. And I would imagine even in that circumstance with your kid feeling pretty vulnerable, longing for a God to show up and be with you all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what you're referencing uh, to those listening is that my oldest son has a, uh, an eye disease called, uh, a juvenile retinoschisis. And then at the beginning of June, one of his retinas detached and he went blind in one of his eyes. And that set him on a course of three consecutive surgeries to try to restore sight, mostly try to save the eyeball so he doesn't have to lose it. And we're still in the midst of that recovery and future surgeries and a lot of unknowns. Um, it was <laughs> in the spring, I sensed that I just needed like a break. I was going to like step back from social media, take a break, disappear for a while. And I went to Scotland with some friends on a scotch trip and I was ready to be like, not on my phone and not doing that. And then my first night in Scotland, I get a call and my wife's like, Anders went blind in one eye and thus began 
cutting that trip short and trying to get back to the States, trying to get back for a surgery. Um, and then all of our plans for the summer got just dissolved and we stayed home and we were living in Austin at the time that experienced the fourth hottest summer on record. And <laughs> we're just like stuck in this town and it's so hot. There's so many things just like that were just humbling. You know, we have a lot of agencies in our life, but there are times when you're just like, I can't, I don't feel like I can do anything. And I remember discussing this with my spiritual director and he was just like, after some time, cause he was just like, you've just really been made humble. You've really been made vulnerable. And he's like, that's usually if God wants to transform you in some ways, first you have to be made vulnerable to receive that transformation. And I was like, well, I hate it. <laughs> yeah, but he was probably. right. I wasn't, we don't know what sickness we're running on until like we're forced to stop or, you know, see things differently, do things differently. And, um, and so then really, so in that time, as well as just like being with my family and stuff, it just became like, how do I want to do, what am I, what have I been doing? What am I going to continue doing? How do, do I like how I'm doing this? How do you, how do we, what's the place? My question has always, for a while has been like, what's the place from within myself that I stand from? Like, how do I do this work? Um, and yeah. And then I like, we just, and after we discerned, we decided to move back to the Northwest. So I had this art studio that I packed up and now I have like, kind of like, I'm like the Death Star in Return of the Jedi. Like it's functional, but you know, there's still a lot of big gaping parts. <laughs> so people can still get in and blow it up. Um, yeah, you know, like I don't, there's just a lot of my life that doesn't feel put together. Um, let's talk about together, having it together. I was talking to my friend Levi, the poet. I'm Scott, the painter, Levi, the poet. Of course we're friends, but he, he got, uh, his wife divorced him a couple years ago. Um, he, he's just in a lot of tender spots. He's dating somebody now. It's all in a, just a lot of trauma from his childhood's coming up and, and he's great. He's tremendous. But we were discussing and we, we were discussing about like feeling like we don't have it together. And I was like, can we, as like, for me, this is really helpful. I was like, I think we need a better picture of what not having it together means. Because what do we imagine when we say I don't have it together? And I, and I was like, how about this picture? You know, when you're sitting at a table and everything's laid out perfectly, but then one of your kids, you know, because they're just like clumsy, like knocks over a glass. Adults do this too, but kids do it quite often. Children do. And you pick up everything to wipe off the table so you can put everything back down. I was like, maybe not having it together is what it looks like when you, you have to pick up everything because you need to wipe down the mess that's been made. I was like, maybe you and I are just in that spot where we're like dealing with the problem or dealing with the thing that's underneath all the stuff that's laid out that we judge as togetherness. If you, we saw that picture, we wouldn't go, oh, you dummy, dumb, dumb, look at you. You know, we would go, oh yeah, that's, that's totally what you should be doing right now. You should be totally wiping up the spill in order to put the things back down and get back into it. It's part of just, it's just part of the process. And I think there are times in our lives where life circumstances force us to look at the spill underneath everything. <laughs> that we need to be healed from, clean up, whatever word we want to use. So that's when I think about like not having it together. For me, that's a much more grace, gracious um, picture than one that's just like, you dummy. <laughs> you Look at you, just a big mess, you know. I love that idea, but like hate it at the same time that transformation always comes on the other side of vulnerability. I mean, and I love your response. Like you, you were being honest, you know, I don't love this, but here I am. And, but what I do love is that I know that we have a God who meets us in those places and really like gentle ways. I I'm curious as we sort of start wrapping things up, cause I know you and I could talk, we could do like a six hour podcast, you know, uh, 
<laughs> but dare you, to dream. <laughs> dare to dream. You wrote this book, Honest Advent. And I'm curious, you know, as you think about people listening and it's this time of Advent and they're running around like a chicken with their head cut off and there's all the pressure like you talked about in the beginning and, you know, they're supposed to feel something and they've heard the Christmas story a million times and they're supposed to like lean into it and have like some big spiritual <laughs> moment and lean into it. Wow. Just yeah. lean into this story. What is that? I, a wall? <laughs> uh, like a jello mold? What are we doing? What am I right. leaning into? Yeah. So I'm curious, <laughs> like, what's your encouragement like? Here's here's what would be dishonest in this time for you versus like here's an encouragement of what honest Advent could look like. Yeah. Um, when I work with people about prayer, which is the conversation about our lives, really. And when people are like, I don't know where to start. I just say, start with what you're most afraid of or just the fears coming up and then and also what you're hoping for. Because those are the places that you, it's kind of those extremes. We really care about life. Sometimes in the middle, we can just be like, well, blase about it. But when we're like, this really freaks me out and this really excites me and wants me to get up in the morning, I think that's the energy of being alive. I think God is in those conversations. So I would say, start with those. Instead of like, what am I supposed to be feeling? Or what am I supposed to be doing? It's more like, well, what actually are you thinking about now? What are you actually going through now? Maybe, and this is a post book connection, but I was like, maybe instead of like what we're supposed to be doing, what if we were just like honest about what's happening? <laughs> like, let's start with the, the honesty. Here's the places I don't feel like I have it together. Here's the places where I feel like I have some gained wisdom and I could apply that. And then we're seeing like kind of the, the places of our lives that, you know, often if you looked back in your life and you kind of made like a history and a trajectory of your life, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm on a path. I can see God working here and here and here and here. And then you get to present day and you're like, and it's gone. <laughs> and then you look to your future and you're like, I don't know, probably not. You know, but like in <laughs> retrospect, we can see divine intentionality in our life and what faith is is like it's the wagon carrying that into this present moment and so maybe it could open ourselves up to that and to be like this present day with my hopes and my dreams and my fears where what could be surprising what where would you like me to see how, what am I passing over that's already an avenue for connection, but I just didn't have eyes to see? Um, often, I don't know if, <laughs> I don't know if you do this, but I'll be looking at a night sky and I'll be like, if a shooting star happens, then I'll know you're real. <laughs> and then it doesn't. And I'm just like, God, you're not real. But like, the fact that I my heart's beating with not me being in charge of it, the fact that all of those planets and stars are out there, you know, there's so many other things, but it's like, no, no, no. I, that's me trying to control God's incarnation. That's what that is. It's me trying to control how God wants to incarnate in the world and what humility and vulnerability invite us to is to see where incarnation is happening already. That's why pride and often strength and often um, entitlement keep us from seeing God. That's why we're invited to poor and lowly places like mangers <laughs> and inns on the outside of town and the lowest class employer employees like shepherds in our society that's why it's happening there. It's because it forces us to have different eyes to see. So I would, I think maybe this season we can just go, what's already happening now? And where are the places of incarnation that I need to have my eyes open to versus me dictating how it needs to happen or it doesn't mean anything at all. Hmm. That's how I would approach it. And I would use honest advent as a helpful tool to get in charge of those places. I was just going to ask you, <laughs> how can people get your book and your advent artwork? 
Yeah. Um, well, the book's available everywhere books are sold, local bookstores. Churchsource.com has a really great um, sale. It's like almost half off. It's great. You can get it on Amazon too. Um, and also I made basically like a Stations of Advent. And it's like Stations of the Cross. I made a meditative art show for communities or homes. And um, that's available through my website, scotterickssonart.com. But it's images from the book with QR codes to short meditations that are based off the book and just kind of a way to give a visual vocabulary for this time. And um, it's been really cool to see communities use that and churches use that. So um, all of that's available through the websites that I've put up. So yeah, you're invited to use this stuff um, and I'm willing to meet you where, where you're at on that. So let me and know. people can find you on social at... I'm Scott the Painter everywhere, uh, mostly on Instagram, never on TikTok, and don't even want to be on Twitter. So there we go. <laughs> you know you're getting old when you're not on TikTok. Friend, thank you so much for uh, coming to us vulnerably today and inviting us yeah. to come alongside you to meet our vulnerable God. I always appreciate talking to you so much. Love hanging out with you. Can't wait till it's in person soon buddy we'll catch you soon well friend i have a feeling that that conversation gave you something to chew on during this advent season i love that scott invites us this advent season to not feel all the pressure or succumb to all the ideas that somehow we have to feel something or deep dive into the Christmas story and try to find something new about it, but that we can actually come before God in a really honest way. And He invites us to start with our fears and our hopes. So this week, my hope for you is that you truly could start there, that you could come before God in an authentic way in a genuine way, and maybe just lay before Him. What are your fears right now? What's got you up at night? What has you fretting? What are those worst-case scenarios that you're already writing in your head, assuming they're going to come true? What are your hopes? What are you longing for right now? What are the dreams that you have that you're afraid to utter out loud because they sound so ridiculous? Where are the places where you're needing something and hoping in something, but you're almost giving up hope? Share with God what your hopes and your dreams are. We can start there this week as we walk through this Advent season. Friend, I hope that you keep colliding and you experience Jesus showing up in your fear and your hope and bringing peace and joy. We'll catch you next week.